In a world full of confusing conversations that divides the world into black and white, our hosts invite listeners to abandon duality and live in the gray. By approaching each topic with unapologetic boldness, clarity, and nuance, even we know that leans into the opportunity to say the quiet parts out loud. Now, here are our hosts, LaToya Green and Kat Schwarz. Hello, hello there. Happy Wednesday to you all or whatever day or time it is when you all are catching the Even We Know That podcast or the production that is Even We Know That. So excited to be here. Uh, my name is Latoya Green, uh, owner of Higher Definition Leadership and Empowerment Coaching. Uh, also here with a wonderful colleague of mine, Kat Schwartz, who is an amazing complex trauma strategist, who is a Reiki uh, instructor, who is a yoga instructor, who is a an individual par excellence. So Kat, how you doing? I am great. And I'm also the CEO and founder of Compassionate Healing Services. Absolutely. And I am so excited for today's episode. So I just wanted to say, Toy, I apologize if you thought you were getting a less awkward version of me. This is not that episode. <laughs> I understand. We're, and we're still going to work out the kinks and I'm going to be awkward and fangirl and all of it. So oh, this, yeah, this be is like that, somebody okay? I've been wanting to meet for years. <laughs> well, you are fangirling over a great person, a phenomenal person, somebody I'm proud to call my little brother and one of my best and closest friends. Uh, today on the show, we have none other than the amazing, the wonderful, the accomplished, conscious Lee. Uh, what's up, Lee? How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And Kat, you ain't got to listen. Listen, I'm just I'm just I'm just a person on the Internet that says some things that sometimes people tune into. Just think about it like that. You feel me? Just the regular, regular guy on the street, you know? Well, and more than... <laughs> We'll go for it, Kat, my bad. I was going to say more than that. For me, the reason I fangirl over you is you are the true defin definition for me of an intersectional feminist. And that has all of my respect. You. Um, you know, you've, you are somebody who not only speaks out on the issues that affect you directly, but you speak out on the issues that affect all of us. And that's what intersectional feminism is. I mean, you could, if you chose to speak out only on issues that affect Black, cis, hetero men, just like I could speak out on issues that's affect only white, queer, you know, cis women. And but we don't do that because we're not terrible people. <laughs> right? We, we understand the intersectionality of all of those identities and how um, the more marginalized a person is, the more protection they need from us. And I think we can both agree that people who look like Toya need the most protection. Um, and I'm just such an enormous fan of you. And I wanted to tell the funny story when I met Toya, which is I, I hired her as a coach through her um, uh, high definition coaching program. And after the, our first the end of our first meeting together, she said that she was um, in the debate world. And I said, oh, wait, you don't you don't like know consciously. Right. <laughs> and she points up above her and she goes, yeah, that's him. He's right like my brother. <laughs> Oh, that's I was like, what? <laughs> so that was months ago. So for me to get the opportunity finally to speak to you about this topic specifically really is um it's just an honor. So thank you for being here. Well, I wanna I wanna put some meat on the bones of why we're so excited to have Lee because I don't really think I've dropped his informal resume, but I want to tell you a little bit more about consciously so you have a good idea about who he is. Born and raised in Bryan, Texas, uh a a graduate with two master's degrees from University of Oklahoma, as well as a phenomenal facilitator, a DEI specialist, so diversity, equity, inclusion, also a social media phenomenon with over 2 million followers between uh, TikTok, 
uh, Instagram and YouTube and a bunch of different platforms that you can find him. Lee has taken over the social media and um, multimedia space and has begun to be a presence in many capacities, speaking on issues of gender, race, sexuality, capitalism, identity, being better persons to better people. And more recently, in connection with our conversation today about neurodivergence, an individual who was connected specifically by the challenges and the understandings of things like ADHD, right? So I know with us talking about neurodivergence today and the relationship to trauma and the relationship that we have with other people and, you know, how we heal through a lot of these issues. We opened up the door last week to have Lee on by starting a conversation about PTSD versus PTSD and alluding to the A study. Kat, could you remind everybody and even kind of bring uh, Lee into the fold about what CPTSD is as well as what the A study is or why it's important? Please, Absolutely. please. And I do want to just a little bit touch on my credentials to, to do this. I have um, since 2018 been a member of the New Jersey Education Association's State Task Force on ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And through that, I became certified as an ACE interface presenter. So that's where this knowledge of mine comes from. And um, yeah, so last week we spoke about complex, that's what the C stands for, complex PTSD versus the much better known and understood PTSD. And we, as the basis of that conversation, we used what's known as the ACE questionnaire or, and so, or the ACE study. It's a landmark study. The data was collected between, originally between 1993 and 1995, I believe, perhaps 95 and 97. And it was Kaiser Permanente that um, paid for the study. They studied 17,000 of their HMO participants, so they all had healthcare privilege in and of itself. They were 17,000 uh, 17, mostly white, middle-class, college-educated Americans. And stunningly, what the researchers found was the vast majority of them had had an experience in childhood known as an adverse childhood experience that was impactful enough to be affecting their current physical and mental health. And it took years for the authors of this study to really uh, publicize it widely because they didn't really believe their own findings until they replicated and validated it hundreds of times. And essentially there's 10 questions. I believe Lee has been kind enough to agree to do those with us on air. Mm. And um, so every question for 10 questions, every yes is a one is one point. And um, much like, you know, much like intersectionality, right? A, an A score of one will have some impact, right? Whereas a, it's a dose response relationship. So the higher the A score, the more adverse childhood experiences you um, went through, the more likely it is to be having a significant impact on physical and mental health. And, and when I say significant, for instance, four ACEs or more are associated with, which was my score, which are associated with 12 times higher risk of suicide. I almost lost my life to suicide in 2017. Mm -hmm. And six ACEs or more are associated with living 20 years fewer of life. So this is not an insignificant or benign finding. And that is uh, that's the basis for the quiz, uh, the questionnaire that uh, Toya is going to ask Lee. And so, Lee, I want to ask you these 10 questions. This will help us determine your A score, which then will help us to appraise the way that in your particular instance or your specific instance, childhood traumas may or may not have influenced neurodivergence. Right. The way that your brain has been able to develop under pressure or certain traumatic experiences. So question number one, before your 18th birthday, did a parent or adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you or act in a way that made you be afraid that you could be physically hurt? 
Yeah. Her. I can agree with that uh, answer as well. Second question, before your 18th birthday, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard you had marks or were injured? I grew up in a black household that believed in spankings, so I can say yes. What about you? Same, yes. Absolutely. Right. So question number three, before your 18th birthday, did an adult or person at least five years older than you uh, ever touch or fondle you or have uh, or in, interact with you in an inappropriate way? Yes. All right. Agree. Also here. Uh, before your 18th birthday, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family ever loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? What's the question? Have you ever felt basically as though before your 18th birthday, your family did not support you, love you or make you feel special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close or support each other? I'm going to say no. OK, you'll say no to that one. I actually could say yes to that. Before our questions, number question oh, number like five. For me, like for me, or like just in general, my family, I say no. But for me, I feel like my family always thought that I was like special. And see, <laughs> I, I would say that too, but I looked at them as a unit that was bonded and formed together. And I can see ways where there was a lack of support, a lack of reinforcement, things like that. Oh, right? so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah I played sports and I was I was the kid that played sports that didn't look forward to nobody coming to watch me play because this is what I, I understood. You feel well, me? See, I, was, just yeah, like, like that, right? I, I understand that I'm playing basketball that it's probably not going to be nobody in the stands for me to shoot this three. But it's I'm gonna not going to be the highest priority that people have. Right. Yeah. So I guess about me from that perspective, you know what I'm saying? Potentially, yes. OK. Yeah. yeah. Question yeah number I, said, five. I, I would say, yeah, I would say, okay. yeah. And then me and my wife had a conversation about some 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 like complex that we came across on the internet that was like oh, i identify with that so it's a it's a part of feeling special and and being made to feel special but how sometimes that's put on like a, a alienated because it's expected that you can do x y and z so it's like you don't really need it so you good and i'm gonna focus over here so so yeah I had to think okay. about it. I had to think about it, man. I, Listen, I feel like eighty. Yeah, we'll get to that part of the conversation. And me reading it to you probably isn't like, the easiest way to digest and really get what the question is asking. So I'm gonna do the best yeah. that I can to make sure I'm clear. And I, if I could interrupt, I think the other hurdle to this is it, this isn't typically considered trauma, right? I mean, you know, I grew up thinking that trauma was you grew up in a war zone or you were a first responder, or you went, you know, you um, were a military, you know, things of that nature. I never, you know, was able to really conceptualize what I had been through as trauma simply because um, it's not generally looked as such. So. Yeah, somebody didn't show up to your game. You, you That's trauma, right? Like that's that yeah, is really hard to connect those dots. <laughs> yeah. You don't realize how influential that is to how you think and process yourself and the people around you. Um, I'll continue. Before your 18th birthday, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear uh, dirty clothes or had no one to protect you or... Right. So maybe not all of those things, but any of those things or your parents were too dysfunctional to take care of you or take you to a doctor if you absolutely needed it. Uh, yeah. Yes. I felt like I lived in a household where there wasn't an abuse of particular uh, substances, but the addiction to work, to being gone, to being out makes you feel as though, you know, if something were to happen, you could be left vulnerable. Before your 18th birthday, next question, was a biological parent of yours ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or for any other reason? Hold on, you said what? Well, I was on that for a minute. I, saw, I, I see his it. comment was like, dang. <laughs> you got it. Shout out to you, Sarah. <laughs> then that's why we got the chat open, too, so that we can interact with the folks participating yeah. uh, as well. 
before your 18th birthday, was a biological parent ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or any other reason? Yeah. Okay. Uh, number seven. So we're almost done. Before your 18th birthday, birthday were uh, was your were either of your parents ever pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at them, or often uh, engaged with violently, either verbally um, or violent physically, verbally or otherwise? Yeah. Okay. Uh, number eight, what, before your 18th birthday, did you ever live with anybody who ever had an issue with addiction? Yeah. Okay. And then lastly, I'm sorry, one more, almost done. Before your 18th birthday, birthday was a household member ever depressed or mentally ill, or did anybody ever commit suicide in your immediate family? Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question, before your 18th birthday, did a household member ever go to prison? Yeah. Okay. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, which I know you talk at length in a, on a lot of your platforms about the relationship we have to incarcerated people, how incarceration shapes family units, how it disorganized family units, right? That's something you often talk about. So based on this score, based on this survey we took, your A score is nine, right? Your A score I is got, nine. I got 10, actually, because <laughs> I, I, I thought he had changed his mind. So, but oh, yeah. so yeah, I guess yeah, the score is 10. Severe. So what can we allude to knowing that the A score is 10? I amanned on at least seven of them. You said anything over four implicated. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing to know and, and the reason we we talk about this is not for the doom, doom and gloom piece of it, for the resilience piece of it. I mean, you can't get much more accomplished than Lee, <laughs> right? Mm. I mean, look at what he's been through and then look at what he's transmuted into purpose, right? So, I mean, there is absolutely a phenomenon known as trauma resilience, right? Trauma isn't a death sentence, but trauma has to be recognized as trauma in order for it to be healed. So I think that's a really perfect, um, as we start to go into break. Yeah, so I would, I, based on your, and thank you, Lee, thank you so much for being uh, so candid with us and vulnerable on air. Um, that was sobering to witness, and I'm sorry for everything that you've been through sincerely. And I want to, um, you know, after on the other side of the break, really talk about um, how this relates to your recent ADHD diagnosis and maybe gain some clarity around that um, in a way that will be beneficial to everyone listening, really. Before we take that break, I want to make sure that everybody knows where you can find the last conversation we had about CPTSD as well as PTSD. So the Inspired Choices Network has our content all over the place. You can find pieces of that conversation on LinkedIn. You can go to the inspiredchoicesnetwork.com website. You can also listen to it anywhere you find your podcast. And that'll be a place where you can go and get bigger pieces of conversations about the A study and the differences in between those two positionalities, PTSD versus CPTSD. Let's take this break. We'll do a commercial. We'll come back in and talk a little bit more about neurodivergences like ADHD, like bipolar disorder, and how we should understand them in relationship to trauma. Trauma, spirituality, and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together. Understanding trauma, exploring spirituality as a tool to heal, and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique. By tuning into Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Kat Schwarz, you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? 
Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Kat Schwarz. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to evenweknowthat at gmail.com. Now back to the program. We are back uh, having a great and very involved conversation about the traumas that we experience, specifically with the ACE study, that's A-C-E. So if you Google the ACE study that deals directly with childhood traumas and childhood experiences, you can take that test for yourself and get a little bit more connected to how you may be able to see the connectivity between what you've been through and experienced and how you find yourself now. Um, Kat, I wanted to ask you to do a little bit more connecting of the ACE study with neurodivergence, because I know yesterday we were talking a lot about the brain and the pressure that the brain can be under, particularly in moments where it should be growing, developing, and evolving in ways that, you know, exude neurotypicality. So talk a little bit more about the childhood traumas and experiences that Lee just kind of alluded to and that we looked at with the ACE study and how we should understand or can't understand neurodivergence. Happily. And, and, I think the thing to understand too, besides the label of trauma, it's really about chronic toxic stress, right? When we're under stress, our bodies, um, our bodies release cortisol, they release adrenaline, and those are wonderful hormones that are meant to be in your body for about 20 minutes, right? To give you that boost you need to get the car off your kid, right? Mm. Like, I mean, though that's the that's the value of these hormones. And but when constantly running through, especially a child's body, it's very, very damaging. And as the ACE questionnaire says, all of these questions are asking about prior to the age of 18. Now we do know the nervous system doesn't fully develop until the age of 26 to 27. That's not very well known, but truly um, as far as maturation of the nervous system, it's about 26 or 27. But anything that occurs of course in childhood is going to naturally affect the development of the nervous system because the nervous system, the, the brain and spinal cord are developing along with the person, right? Mm -hmm. So when a child is under constant trauma, toxic stress, um, and the nervous system doesn't therefore have an opportunity to develop normally, the word we could easily use for that is neurodivergent, right? It just means that the nervous system did not develop, quote, normally. That makes sense, right? So we know that even one ACE or adverse childhood uh, experience is significant, can significantly impact both physical and mental health across a lifespan. Imagine what 10 ACEs can do, yeah. right? So um, so it's very important to understand because that word is really a buzzword. And I, I remember really hearing that word in, in regards to autism for the mm -hmm. first time. But really, again, it's just a word that explains the fact that the nervous system did not develop and therefore does not respond normally. And Absolutely. that's going to lead into our conversation about how all of these mental health diagnoses overlap. And I know uh, Toya wanted to ask some questions because really, Lee, the, the most 
I mean, I've been wanting to meet you for years. I, once I realized I had the opportunity through Toya, it was really your revelation of your diagnosis of ADHD that made me chomp at the bit <laughs> to have this conversation because I feel like you're going through something um, that I went through when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I know mm -hmm. uh, Toya had some questions for you about the diagnosis that you I do. Before got. I even ask Lee, I want to look at the comment because Karen asked a great question. Can having an unwell parent affect uh, the nervous system as well. And I think in the ways that the ACE survey questions were set up, yes, Absolutely. because if you have a, a parent who is incapable of providing the apex, the top line kind of ability to parent, to be available, to support, you wind up having or potentially falling into situations or scenarios where you lack, right? Where a lack of an inability to take care or render care to somebody does fall into abuse, right? So there are a lot of great yes. lines where you can have an unwell parent. And because it isn't, it, even though it's not intentional, the outcome can still produce traumas in the and specific to the ACE questionnaire, the, the questions that address that are uh, questions of neglect, whether you had your basic needs met, um, whether you felt loved and special, mm -hmm. um, whether you had a parent who had mental illness, which Lee is sharing in the uh, comments was true for him. It was true for me as well. And um, the specifically the um, domestic violence against the mother in the home. So those right. are, those are the four ACEs that really speak to just how impactful it is to, just have an unwell parent, right? Wow. I mean, these things that we've minimized are really, really um, important. And it's it's time that we have a more nuanced conversation like we are right now. So Lee, in terms of adding to some of this nuance, you know, we have a, a working relationship together. We have a personal relationship together. We have grown from kids, like genuinely <laughs> 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds and two people who have families, who have businesses, who are working to be the best version of ourselves in a bunch of different ways. And so when we look at this ADHD diagnosis that you brought to, you know, me and our other good friends, shout out to Damo, the political plug. When you brought, you know, the diagnosis to us, it was a combination of feelings and perspectives and, you know, things like that. But I, I guess I want to ask what led you to get the diagnosis in the first place? What led you to pursue a greater understanding of how you had gotten to the point you were at? Um, I got a six-year-old daughter that's in the first grade. Um, we were in Oklahoma. Uh, they thought my daughter had uh, a learning delay. Mm -hmm. And when we moved to Texas, we uh, learned that she didn't have a, a educational delay, a learning delay. Um, she's been flourishing very great, greatly. Um, her, uh, her teachers thought that she had the symptoms of ADHD. And so me and my wife is sitting there in like a parent teacher conference type thing, as I call it. And she listing off symptoms and everything she listing off is things that I would that that I'd have seen as a part of my personality. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so so then I, I started doing my own digging and then once i started to uh like come across more content and seeing that it was things that i was struggling with that's when i started to want to get a diagnosis and then uh me getting a diagnosis you feel me that's what that's what that's what led to me kind of just being more immersed in trying to find as much information as possible about neurodivergence adhd executive functioning emotional dysregulation uh man mm -hmm. hypersensitivity rejection uh man learn about everything i can you feel me just you know you know you know what you know like when i first got into consciousness at like 19 something i prided myself self on was knowledge of self self-love self-care self-consciousness self-understanding so for me being diagnosed with adhd gave me a new realm of self-consciousness and like knowledge of self mm -hmm. and then being able to I think not not internalize the defectiveness, not turn not internalize like the alienation, not internalize the ways that I'm always 
coming up short. And then right now it's rethinking about like still struggling with it being real. It's like thinking about, all right, when I, when I make a bad decision and, mm-hmm. or I come up short, it's being able to rationalize with how much accountability and responsibility I take for that mess up specifically and being able to kind of explain it away with my ADHD. So yeah. whether I'm forgetful about something, whether I'm moving too fast and, 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 and I don't think about something the way I should, you know, it's like, in my mind, I partially is like, all right, this, this, this is, this is part of my ADHD. But another part of it is, man, I've, I've been, I've, I've trained myself to always feel like I have control over me, mm-hmm. who I am, how I move, Absolutely. how I think. This is me. I have control over my person. You know what I'm saying? So being able to kind of have that balance of not beating up myself too much, but also not making it where I, I scapegoat my my ADHD condition. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And at 32 years old with 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 with, with kids and you feel me, a wife and a business, easier said than done. I can only imagine, right? And I think one of the things you kind of alluded to, you said kind of cut yourself some slack or let your, let yourself get away with, but I think it's giving yourself grace, right? You are a person, much like many of us are, who are in a position to just try to do good, to try to show up, to try to get the job done, to try to make sure we're being accountable and responsible, responsible for the things we've been tasked to do. And so it's not really about moving away from the responsibility. It's about giving myself grace when I fall a little short, right? When disappointment happens or when the goals that I set for myself are taking a little longer to get to or the longer way around to achieve, right? I also want to be clear and kind of connect this to some of the things you said, because this is an intersectional conversation, right? We make sure we look at matrices of power, capitalism, heterosexuality, heteropatriarchy, uh, just all of those different matrices of power. And we are talking about receiving a diagnosis. And I, I would be ignorant if I didn't acknowledge the fact that even being able to receive a clinical diagnosis is a privilege. It's a privileged position. It's one of people who have a lot of opportunity to a- gain access in the institutions. And so, but there are a lot of people we know on the other side who are dealing with neurodivergence. They just haven't figured out the name to call it yet who are suffering from a lot of the same issues, Lee, that you noticed when you were sitting in that parent-teacher conference that don't have a therapist to call or a doctor's office to go to. And so this is why it's so important, maybe for the ACE study, to just add a nugget of understanding to how it is that I may have found myself in this position to add a layer of clarity uh, as we attempt to understand and self-determine and self-identify and, and have that kind of peace with who we are as we grow and as we practice who we are becoming, right? It's important to to, to to do what we can with what we got. Sometimes we don't have the ability to go to somebody's doctor's office. So these t- types of conversations, things like the ACE study help to fill in some of what's missing. Now with your diagnosis, Lee, um, you talked, uh, I, I specifically, like I said, you felt a lot of ways and you expressed a lot of different things before, during, after trying to get this diagnosis. But one of the explanations you you used or the language you used was relief. And so I guess what what was relieving to you about understanding your ADHD diagnosis. You alluded to it a second ago, but just narrow that for me. What was relief uh, creating for you in that? The relief is the neurotypical perception of being ADHD and how that is prescribed onto my person. Mm. So being lazy, being thoughtless, being selfish, being um, 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 like... Well, losing attention, being careless, you feel me? Like all those things, a thing, or be, being sensitive, like all these things are stuff that I've been told my entire life. You see what I'm saying? 
So when you get to, to, to you know, my I love I live by the Huey P. Newton quote, define the phenomenon, make it act in desired manner. That's what's with power. That's how I define power. And I'm always looking drop, to drop power. that. Drop that one more time for the people who are not up on their Huey P. Newton. What is the yeah. phrase? And a little bit slower so that we can really grasp oh, yeah. the, the intricacies of it. Yeah, man. When I was 19 years old, I fell in love with Huey P. Newton, the co-founder of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And something that he said was a quote about power. He defined power as the ability to define the phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. And it's something that when I heard the first time, it's something that I just kind of always repeated since I was 19, to define the phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. So for me, everything I just named are phenomenons that I've been that, I, that I've had to navigate and struggle with throughout my entire life. Sure. So being able to define the phenomenon to make it act in a desired manner for me was a sense of relief. So mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, this is the reason why. I can be an emotional hothead. This is the reason why I have such a cling to injustice and justice. This is the reason why I've always said I wear my heart on my sleeve. This is mm-hmm. the reason why I can be so forgetful. You see what I'm saying? It could be things that's like, I never forget this. I, my daughter had a, 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 a parent-teacher conference. My wife works overnight. It was my responsibility to go to the parent-teacher conference. I work from home. Mm-hmm. I forgot to go to the meeting. Because I forgot to go to the meeting, I internalized a lot of things about my fatherhood and about how I'm a father because like what type of father is going to forget their child's yeah. parent-teacher conference if you are the main general person that's supposed to be teaching and doing this, that, and the other. You see what I'm saying? Right. So that was something that is like, it still messed me up. And still there's times that it's like, I'll, I'm, I'm around the kids and I zone out or I'm supposed to do something and I do it later or I, you know what I'm saying, let my down my wife or let down my kids. And I really take it to heart and I really think like, man, am I a good husband? Am I a good father? You see what I'm saying? Right. But I still like have to I, I feel like I'm, it's something I still struggle with, but I got some relief being yes. able to think about, all right this is why I do this thing. It's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I'm selfish. I only think about myself. It's not because I don't care about my wife. I don't care about my kids. It's not because you see what I'm saying, but still trying to figure out, all right, what do I, like? how how do I make sure my wife and my kids know that they are loved and I care about them and that I don't give the world the best of me and give them the rest of me? How do I make them understand or show them, illustrate to them that I can do these actions while showing like, and and that's, that's something right now that is just, you feel me, you know, but the relief part is (laughs) finding the phenomenon, making acting desire, man. And I see right now, my ADHD coming right now. I got all these thoughts. You good. You you, you sold it up better than you might think. We're going to continue trying to suture this thing up after we take this break when we come back on the inspired choices network we continue the conversation about neurodivergence and trauma trauma spirituality and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together understanding trauma exploring spirituality as a tool to heal and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique by tuning into even we know that with latoya green and kat schwarz you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. 
Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Cat Schwarz. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to evenweknowthat at gmail.com. Now back to the program. Uh, receiving a lot of love over the break from Sarah, from Karen in the chat, from a lot of folks who have had uh, conversations with us, even outside of this platform about catching the show, about seeing a clip. So thank you all so much for uh, tuning in. ICN is a great network, having a bunch of wonderful conversations with a lot of powerful people. So check in with us. They have live shows. They have pre-recorded shows. Uh, like I said, our show and so many more are located on all the places you can find your podcast. So make sure you are staying connected to ICN, the Inspired Choices Network.com. Also, next week on ICN, we're going to be having a fun conversation. Necessarily, a fun, every conversation with Cat is fun, but a very interesting conversation about fat phobia, which will be a continuation of a discussion we started over on my podcast, The Chop Up Show, uh, about a month or so ago. So, uh, want to plug the chop up show if you want to get February on 16th of memory sir there it is if you want to google the chop <laughs> it was up an show, exciting we're, day for me <laughs> we're on youtube we're on uh facebook with that conversation and then we'll continue some more of that next week in addition to and adding some layers on how we look at various traumas uh here on even we know that so we were talking to lee um, a little bit about the relief coming from diagnosis, the mm -hmm. relief in building a healthier relationship with self-knowledge and self-understanding, and from, from there, really connecting to neurodivergence and finding himself there. Kat, I want to come back to you for a bit and talk more about what we have kind of been discussing as capital T trauma versus lowercase t trauma, how some of that gets gray, the relationship they're in, some of the distinctions. So uh, connect some of these dots to the different types of traumas that we perceive. Well, first, I, I want to relate a little bit more to what Lee was saying as far as my own diagnosis and the relief it brought, and then ultimately the clarity I gained regarding even that. So for me, I would never have considered myself to have anything but, quote, normal mental health until I became a parent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I had been very academically successful. I had a 4.0 through mm -hmm. graduate school. Mm -hmm. I became, you know, I had a, I was married. I had two children. And the moment I became a mom, I knew I was not okay, <laughs> right? And they were calling it first PPD postpartum depression. And then after my uh, second birth, which traumatic, they mm. were calling it postpartum anxiety and depression. And then that got so bad um, that ultimately my marriage crumbled. I, I, you know, I wound up having a divorce in 2020, but by 2017, things had gotten so bad between the, frankly, the gaslighting and um, lack of support. And for my friends group, my, the bullying that was occurring mm -hmm. that I had a, a six day manic episode and I was diagnosed as bipolar. And when mm. I first got that diagnosis, it made so much sense to me, right? It was like, oh, that that's why, right? That's why I can go to the corner of the library and study for 14 hours and stay awake and ace the test, right? Mm. And, but maybe that's why I crashed the next weekend and I can't get out of bed for two days, right? So I really identified with hypomania, for since probably very early teenagehood, you know, maybe even around the, the name um, age of 11 or 12. And by the time I was 38, 
I had gotten to the point where I was given a prednisone prescription and that is what kicked off the bipolar mania. And Mm -hmm. even though that diagnosis at first made sense to me, for me anyway, I can only speak for myself, the treatment was way worse than the disease, right? The mood stabilizers that I were put on, the side effects of them were completely intolerable. They really erased all the aspects of my personality that I liked (laughs) from bipolar disorder for when I was calling bipolar disorder. And it was something that um, is what really brought me to my suicidal crisis. What got me out of my suicidal crisis was a psychiatrist who actually listened to me. She didn't look at me as a diagnosis on a sheet because there's so much stigma around mental illness, particularly bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, which my partner has, or schizophrenia. You know, there's so much stigma that once you have that diagnosis, it's pretty much a license for people to silence you and not listen to you. And I had that experience many times in the course of my mental, uh, my experience in the mental health care system. But I did have a, a wonderful psychiatrist named Dr. Leslie Madrak actually listen to what I was saying. And she's the one who initially said to me, well, because what I was secretly shame, shamefully sharing with her was that her, the medicine she was prescribing weren't helping me, but cannabis was quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It was very obvious to me when I took cannabis that it was a, a medicine for me. And she said, oh, that makes a lot of sense because you have a lot of trauma. In fact, I would say you have complex trauma. You have complex PTSD. I said, I have what now? Mm-hmm. That was 2017. I had never heard of the word because it's not even currently in the DSM. <laughs> Let me just put that out there. Right. Yeah, important to note. And when I took the ACE study for the first time, and I started really understanding this on a on a, a deeper level, and started to own that I had been through trauma, that what I had experienced was traumatic, and started to heal that trauma, every symptom of bipolar disappeared. Mm-hmm. I have not had a single bipolar symptom since 2017. And if this was a disease in and of itself, that I inherited, right, and um, presented itself when in my teenage years and got worse as I got older, then where did it go, <laughs> right? It's not a disease. It's a collection of symptoms. Right. And the reason that we don't have any agreement within the DSM, or which is, stands for the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, it's the gold standard for psychiatry, which I personally believe is in its infancy, mm-hmm. Um the reason that we see so many so much overlap between ADHD, anxiety disorders, bipolar disorder, BPD, um, is because we're all describing the same thing, which is complex PTSD. It's just mm-hmm. at different levels of severity depending on how you developed and what you've been through, right? So you know, it's the reason I believe that. For BPD alone, which is borderline personality disorder, there's over 250 subtypes. (laughs) Right. That doesn't make sense, right? That does not make any sense. We're talking about one diagnosis, which is complex PTSD. And again, the beauty of that is trauma can be healed. (laughs) It's a privilege. Absolutely, it's a privilege. Mm. I can't even, I mean, I mentioned cannabis being the primary medicine that got me through. I'm, I live in New Jersey where it is legal, although it wasn't at the time. I became a medicinal patient, but that gave me the privilege of spending, you know, God knows what per ounce, you know, right. for, for medicine that grows in the ground, right? So we could we could go on a whole side conversation about capitalism and all of that, but we- Yeah, um, and I mean, also criminality and policing, right? Because uh, whether it is the access to <laughs> pharmaceuticals or- the access to cannabis, all of those right. have a lot of hoops and hurdles around them that could 
force you to be penalized by the law if you procure them without permission. Especially if you're a black person, let's be Exactly, if you're a black person. Right, I mean, let's let's say the quiet parts out loud, Toy. You know, (laughs) I I apologize for not doing that. That's what we do around here is we say the quiet parts out loud. So super, I think the gradients between what we're calling capital T trauma and low T, low, lowercase t trauma, what we're arguing is that in the Venn diagram of it all, regardless of where you decide to classify certain things, that gray in between is one where everybody suffers um, in ways that are similar to each other. And it can be rooted and kind of found in the overlaps and in the ways that we don't immediately recognize, but are more similar than we think. And it makes sense that, you know, and, and, for I guess we would call the smaller T trauma, you know, someone not showing up at your baseball game or not feeling loved or safe in your own home, whereas the bigger T trauma might be being sexually abused by your family member, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm and I'm not certainly not saying that people haven't experienced both, right? Just like people can have both complex PTSD and PTSD, right? It's not that mental illness runs in families, it's a trauma runs in families. Yes. And because trauma, specifically complex or trauma specifically in childhood is a public health crisis, as we said, this is not just affecting families, this is infecting, affecting our entire society. Yeah. Because we are, we are just essentially walking around as traumatized people, raising traumatized people, dealing with traumatized people, and constantly having those triggered reactions, you know, to one another. And, you know, the the results are obvious. Look at what a mess we are as a society. We don't have any idea what emotional intelligence is as a society, because for the most part, you know, aging is inevitable, but maturation is or is um, maturing is optional. I've certainly seen that in my 44 years on this earth. You know, not everyone grows up just because everyone grows old. And, um, you know, and it's because we don't have these... Um, you know, we don't have this really simplified understanding of what we're considering is an unsolvable issue. It's, I, I may have said this in the last episode, it's not that the problem is complex, the implementation of the solution is quite complex, but the problem yeah. is very simple to understand. So, I mean, and you know, what you said reminds me of a couple of things and including it kind of dovetails with what Lee was talking about a little bit earlier in terms of his, his experiences. We know the term or the phrase rather, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, people, right. right? In my business where I attempt to inculcate leadership skills in folks, I argue that inspired people inspire people. But what you've just basically described is that traumatized people can traumatize people, right? And so Lee, when you talked about, you know, your mother's own background with mental health issues and with neurodivergences, when you talk about the environment that you grew up in, when I talk about the environment that I grew up in, it makes perfect sense that we have all right, whether you got a one or a six or a 10 on the A study, have the capacity to then fuel other people's uh, traumas, to add to other people's traumas and to collect trauma in a way and carry trauma in a way, especially if it's not processed through, if it's not dealt with, if you don't try to heal it, if you're not able to be diagnosed and find care for it, that then spreads trauma to future generations or to people in your environment, which is why it's so important to make triangulations between where you've been and what you've experienced, where you are now and inciting incidents or specific incidents, what we know to be incidents that create PTSD, right? Those specific moments or events. And also then how you move forward and how those small things you do and how those big things you do create the perfect storm for that trauma to be, you know, to come to the surface or for your neurodivergences to really shape and negatively influence your your day-to-day life. 
And this is certainly not my phrase, but I think it uh, sums it up nicely. I mean, it's not a matter of whether or not you'll project your traumas onto others. If you're traumatized and that trauma is not healed, you're going to project <laughs> those traumas onto others. And essentially what happens throughout your life is you bleed all over the people that never cut you. Yeah. Right. So. You can come in with the one-liners today, right? The whole bars. <laughs> you know, bleeding all over the people who never cut you is the reason why I think our social position is how it is now. We got a lot of folks who have created the toxicities and the radioactivities that are keeping our society kind of locked in where it is that won't allow for us to do things like, you know, challenge gun violence or question the ways that we deal with the racial or sexual divisions inside of this country or gender-based divisions that we have in this country is a lot of folks have dealt with things in their personal lives. They've then gone on to occupy positions of power and abilities to influence a whole lot of people. And from there, we have an entire society that are suffering from lack, from hurt, and from disillusion that individuals have experienced on a day-to-day basis, right? Which is why we got to heal on a lower level because it has, it's a public health crisis, right? It has a large social impact and influence on how we live. Okay. And after the break, Toya, I want to talk more about how mental health is a spectrum that we're really all on, right? Where the, not those, just those of us who've been labeled as, um, you know, um, having a mental health diagnosis are affected by this. So I'd love to, I'd love to delve more into that after, after the break. break. We'll talk about that. And hopefully I get a chance to even ask uh, both you and Lee on the way out a question that I want to ask before we put a, a, a bow on this. So let's take that break. We'll jump back in and close out our conversation for today. Trauma, spirituality and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together. Understanding trauma, exploring spirituality as a tool to heal and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique. By tuning into Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Kat Schwarz, you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Kat Schwarz. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to evenweknowthat at gmail.com. Now back to the program. Cannot stress enough that you can contact us through evenweknowthat at gmail.com. A great way to converse with me and Kat to share your perspectives, to share your ideas as we attempt to grow this project. Also want to direct your attention to last week's conversation on CP, CPTSD versus PTSD so you can get schooled on that and really couple these conversations together. And if you're looking forward to next week, we'll be talking about fat phobia and getting a little bit deeper into a conversation me and Kat had a while ago over on the Chop Up Show. So a bunch of different options for you to get tuned in. But Kat, bring us a little bit closer to a close by explaining the spectrum you were talking about in terms of neurodivergences. Absolutely. So, I mean, I started the conver- I started the lead into this is that traumatized people traumatize people, right? And we're not just experiencing trauma at the familial level, but at the society level as well. And really, as somebody who participated as a patient in the mental health system, I mean, I my intake for the psychiatrist in 2017, I was disheveled. That's the word she used, right? I mean, there was a, it was a very different person sitting there because, frankly, she was being gaslighted and abused and told mm-hmm. she should be grateful for it, right? Um, so 
as somebody who was a participant, a patient rather in the in the mental health system and a caregiver, my my uh, partner has severe BPD. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise the therapists and the psychiatrists that are helping us are struggling as well, <laughs> often with the same things, right? That's a, and, a lot of the reason why they got into those fields, right? Those, I mean, I, I don't I don't like this just because of you two are such an um, such true teachers, but those who can't teach do, <laughs> or I'm sorry, those who can't do teach. Sorry, exactly. that's it. Those who can't do teach, right? Um, yeah, so for me, it's kind of like when I was um, when I was pregnant, I was actually in labor with my second, maybe my first child, and um, I called the 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 number and uh, for the OB, and I, a man, um, a male OB answered, and I I described what I because I I wasn't experiencing the what I considered to be typical labor symptoms, but I was in a hell of a lot of pain, mm-hmm. and um and I'll never forget. He said, "Well, that's not what labor feels like," and I thought, "Sir." I do not care how many books you have read or how many, you know, how many degrees you have on your wall. You do not know what labor feels like. And I would say the same thing to any mental health professional that's never been there like I've been there in regards to, you know, um, having so little um, worth Mm -hmm. and so little hope that I felt like suicide was my only option because I was doing everything right. I was taking all the med. I had the privilege. I had the privilege to take all the medications. I had the privilege to go to all the doctor's appointments. I had the privilege to do nine years of therapy and I was getting worse instead of better because when you don't understand the problem, how do you implement the solution? Right. So, and the other thing I want to say about that, because yes, I mean, you know, this this show is unabashedly about spirituality because what I discovered on the other side of my bipolar disorder were my gifts, right? My gifts as an energy healer, my gifts as a medium. And, you know, there's a, a man, I don't know his name offhand, but it is, I walked through madness to find me, mm. right? And what they were calling mental illness was really spiritual giftedness. And, you know, and talk about intersectionality. When we talk about mental health diagnoses, such as schizophrenia, I have another word for that. It's called clairaudience and it's a gift. But when you're told that it's a, when you're told that's not real, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you're told that hearing voices outside of yourself are, it doesn't, is not a thing of what else are you going to experience except ex- extreme shame, yeah. <laughs> right? And extreme self-judgment. So, you know, I think my the point I want to make is that we are really in the infancy of understanding mental health. And that's become so obvious to me as I've become um, so aware of the ACEs study and the impact that it's having and having gone through it myself, really seen on the other side that when you heal the trauma, you can actually thrive, not just yeah. survive. And I don't think that's really um, a message most people who would have been diagnosed with spe- especially severe mental illness ever get. You know, yeah. there's this this idea that you can, you know, maybe just suffer through it the rest of your life, but certainly not that um, that you can really thrive or, or live a, a happy, healthy life. And I'm a, hopefully um, an example otherwise. I dare to believe so. Um, I want to take uh, this conversation and triangulate it to our childhoods. And that's where I want to kind of end off at. Lee, um, you talked about the feeling of relief, but that isn't the only feeling that you've had um, as you push through and kind of deal through this new realization about yourself. Um, But as you plan to move forward, I want us to take a minute to look back. Uh, So consciously, if you could talk to child yourself, maybe 11-year-old G. Lee, about the the issues, the barriers, the inability to sit still, can't pay attention, getting in trouble, this, this, and that. 
knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to that adolescent version of yourself that was struggling so mightily with all of these things that he didn't even know what to call it or even didn't even know how to understand it? What advice would you give to that kid these days? Um, you are different. Uh, accept it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> different. Accept it. Uh, it's okay to stand out. Um, you're not bad. You're not. Yeah, you're not bad. You're not. You're not, you're not. You're not. Yeah, you're not lazy. You're not complacent. You're not. You feel me? Um, careless. Uh, like you got like the the the, the things you're ridiculed now might be your best superpowers when you get older. Um, uh, man. I think I think that when you was talking something that I, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I think that as a as a 32 year old and a black person that's from the hood, I can recognize the more I learn about neurodivergence, how we all attract to each other sometimes. Yes. Indeed. So I think about how though I was like the uh, schoolboy from the hood, I've always attracted to the, the the street dudes from the hood. And what I recognize is a lot of us have that neurodivergency and I just had that survival guilt in many instances, recognizing how 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 like I, I had a ability to be charming and charismatic mm-hmm. so the way my adhd came off it came off in that way i recognized i got homeboys you feel me and mm-hmm. homegirls but particularly homeboys that they didn't come off as charismatic they didn't come off as enthusiastic they didn't come off as charming so they were trivialized pathologized criminalized for having mm-hmm. adhd and or being on that spectrum so i just think about how Man, I know a lot of people that's been getting in trouble since they was fourth grade, fifth grade, they 32, you feel me? And they're 32, 31, 30, a lot of them are still going in and out of the system. So I just think about like, you feel me? Now I had a privilege of being able to go to school, being able mm-hmm. to have health care, being able to be in middle class. I ain't lower class no more. And it's recognizing how class and race play into, you feel me, you know, uh, ADHD and being like neurodivergent. I know that as a young black person, I was seen as being irrational. I was seen as always being all over the place. And sometimes my ADHD was confirmation bias. So, you know, it's really thinking about that and how how I felt like that as a youngster. But yeah, you know, the little the little boy you talking to needed, uh, you know, to be friends with the little girl that I'm thinking to when I think back, because, you know, oftentimes it is said that young black girls who are perceived to be nonchalant or disrespectful or, you know, I'm rolling my for the people not watching me, I'm rolling my neck and popping my hands and, you know, are read to be combative in a lot of moments. That is because blackness doesn't allow and anti-blackness doesn't allow for you to see that those are cues of anxiety right those are cues of uncertainty those are cues of overwhelmness so when a lot of people when you see young black women for in particular in spaces not being respectable sometimes that's because they're overwhelmed that's because they can be dealing with adhd that's because they are not being read and are being scripted in a certain way that completely erases the fact that they can be dealing with some type of neurodivergence so I I can only hope that our perspective, the perspective of Lee Cat, your perspective has been amazing here, have allowed for us to accomplish our mission, which is to say the quiet parts out loud. Here, even we know that we're always trying to push, not necessarily the envelope, but open the envelope up and read what's inside so that we can truly have an understanding about what's going on around us. So I'm so grateful, Lee, that you joined us today. Thank you for pulling up and doing me that favor. I'm glad that I got to introduce you to Cat. So that, um, you know, a lot of my favorite people can start to get to know each other better. And I appreciate everybody in the audience. Meet us next week, same place, same time for even you, even we know that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Even We Know That Show. 
LaToya and Kat return Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, don't be afraid to say the quiet parts out loud.